Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have watched Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> and I'm Annie Brigland, and I have watched it, too. I can't believe for the first time I can say that I have watched it. I have seen seen it through all the way to the end. Man, it was like, what, a year, two years ago? No, no, no. A year it and was, a half ago. It was a year ago, a Labor year ago. Day. Yeah. Man, what is time during this year? But it was, yeah. So about a year ago when you were like, what is Avatar? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. So I would say if you're uh, if you're listening to this show um, and you've never heard our origin story, if you go to uh, avatarwithacademics.wordpress.com, um, you can get to any episode from there. But I also have on there in the About Us section, I have a link to uh, a different podcast that we do called Tweet Victory, um, where this podcast was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, you, I think you had tweeted about how Avatar Nation quizzes are better than Harry Potter house quizzes. I think that's the origin of this podcast. And I remember we're sitting in my office where I am right now. And I said, I don't even know what you mean by Avatar Nation quizzes. And you introduced <laughs> the idea of this show. And I thought, I don't know, that doesn't sound so great. And then you kind of dared me. You said, I like over Labor Day weekend watch the first two episodes and uh, see how you feel. And you said what we should do is just do a podcast where we watch our way through this show. Um, so I, I remember my family was up at the cabin for Labor Day, but I was home. So I, I, um, I put it up on, a, on my uh, big screen projector and I watched the first two episodes. And I remember emailing you and saying, this is pretty good. Let's do the podcast. <laughs> um, so it was early September 2020. We started... Uh, and here we are in uh, late October 2021, so just over a year to complete uh, to complete this project. Man, opposite sides of the world. Yeah, think of all the stuff that has happened. Now, I also just want to remind people of the journey we've been on. Uh, the first episode of this show, I think, is about 25 minutes long, the first <laughs> episode of the podcast. And I remember in there, I... Uh, a couple things that I'm going to call myself out on. I mispronounced uh, Appa's name. I mispronounced Sokka's name. I really struggled with the pronunciations in the first episode. I remember saying, wow, this is a really long summary. Normally our summaries for the episodes won't be this long. Um, <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah, that was about right. Like if, if the length of our discussion is about the length of an episode, that sounds great. And then it just slowly grew over time. I remember the first time we did an episode that topped an hour thinking, what have we done? This is, <laughs> this is insane. And I, we also need to say we used to do, for, se- for all of season one or most of season one, we put out two episodes a week. And we would on Friday afternoons in my office, we would record two episodes. And that started being like, you know, it takes about an hour to record two episodes. And eventually the episode started to get to be an hour long. And we started to record two hours on a Friday afternoon. And then they started to get longer. And that's when we started to say we need to do one episode a week because we can't be putting out three to four hours of Avatar content every Saturday. Yes. And this was like on a Friday at the end of a week, we would have lectured, we would have taught classes, and then we were like, "How? why are we doing this right now? Why are we doing both one day? We need to spread it out a little bit more. Right, but we had committed for season one to doing two a week. 
So, uh, so we did it throughout most of that first season. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Do do you do you have a, a as we're reminiscing? Because I think we're both like not eager to end. And once <laughs> we start the summary, we 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 like start the wheels turning to the end. So, as you reflect on this project, are there moments that stick out to you along the mm-hmm. way that were like this was like a seminal moment? This was a an important episode. This was a big deal moment for the show. Mm, I think it's well. I really enjoy any time you bring up the ancient world and connect it to, like, especially mythology, because that, like, you know so much more about, like, Greek mythology than I do. And so it's really fun to, like, sit and listen and realize, like, oh, actually, those are pretty direct, like, connections with the show. Like, clearly the... the creators of the show or the writers of the show were like leaning heavily on some of these myths that are like human myths from from our world right and so that's always been fun i also really enjoyed season two i think season two is my favorite in the series and also my favorite for our podcast too i think just because season two season three has a lot of character development but season two is asking questions of grief and loss and uh like perseverance and i think that the lessons of season two are ones that you can carry with you a lot longer i don't know if that makes sense or Mm -hmm. if you agree yeah i think season two you get into um zuko becomes really i think the central character of season two uh, and the Zuko Iroh stuff becomes really, really important uh, in a different kind of way. Um, and I think that's when the show gets gets really special. Plus, you end with all the like crazy stuff in um, in Ba Sing Se, the the Dai Li and Long Fang, and it and it's just it, it, the show makes some turns that you don't expect. Plus, I think. You know, if you think about season one to season two, season two has a better villain. The villain of season one is Zuko, who's from the very beginning, this conflicted villain. And then you have uh, Zhao, who's like, whatever, you know, he's not, he, you know, he's not that compelling of a character to the point where it's like, I'm kind of glad they killed him off because I didn't really want more of him. Season two, you get Zuko as this conflict, even more conflicted villain. And then you get, Azula, who is, I think, one of the show's really great characters. Mm. And then you get Long Fang, and it's just like, it's, and, and all the, like, the um, bossing save stuff. Like, so I just think narratively, season two is probably when the show kind of hits, hits some peaks. I think some of the best episodes are in season two. Although for me, season three has some pretty a- high apex moments. I think two out of my three favorite episodes are in season three. Mm. so i mean for me my three favorite episodes uh and these are three of my favorite episodes in uh of our podcast as well i think zuko alone is um the first time where i felt like we have kind of created a a magnum opus episode where it's like this episode sends up and that that leans heavily on the fact that that is the jasmine griffin episode as well and she uh is just amazing um Mm. so like so that's a big part of it that we had that interview with her 
Um, I but I love that episode. That's one that I sort of keep going back to as something that has all of the pieces of a great Avatar episode. Um, I, Sokka's master is is one of my absolute favorites, especially pairing that with the beach because that's when we get into a lot of the '80s movie stuff. Um, <laughs> but and then uh, Boiling Rock is is maybe m- the show at at my favorite. I like Boiling Rock does a lot of the stuff that I really love. So the fact that that Sokka's master and Boiling Rock are both in season three uh, does make that season pretty special to me. Mm, for sure, I think like. As you were talking to some of those episodes, the first time I watched them, I did not remember or I wasn't really into them. But I, I also really liked our project because it helped me to enjoy the episodes that I wasn't super mm-hmm. thrilled about. The first time I watched The Beach, I hated The Beach. I hated it so much. And now I really enjoy it. I like want to go back and watch it again um, after we're done recording just because it's it's super fun um, and like deep and there's a lot of great moments in it or even even some of the like major clunkers that, you know, or, or like the Footloose episode was not super thrilled about that one either. But like once we talked through it, I think it, it we were able to redeem it for me. Well, and okay, I will say this project um, – we're just a lot. This episode, just buckle up for us, patting, patting ourselves on the back a little bit. Here yeah. Too. Yes. Um, this this project, along with Video Store, has um, shifted the way that I think about things a little bit. Like both of these projects, I now approach the things we're looking at with a spirit of like, let me love this thing. Instead mm. of like, because I will say, I mean, you know, part of our tagline for this is a millennial and a Gen X are watching Avatar, and I will say. As a Gen Xer, we've been trained to uh, look at things over ironically, to like criticize things and pick things apart. And like, I am such a fan of like watching bad movies and like liking things because they're bad and this and that. And I have in the last year, Avatar has been a big part of this, Video Store has been a big part of this, started to say, I want to approach these things with love instead and be like, why do I love this episode? Because if we want to pick apart, like, here's the thing that doesn't work. or It's like, we can do that. But I'm far more interested in being like, what's great about this? You know, and I, 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 uh, you know, and obviously that doesn't work for every piece of art. Not every piece of art is totally deserving of that. But I do think this is deserving of it. And it's been really freeing to take that approach to this, to be like, mm-hmm. let's talk about this in its in its best, most interesting possible light. Mm. I agree. Yeah. And I think like that is a shift. It seems like that's even a shift in the way that TV and movies seem to be made in the last, like, man, growing up, like the office was the biggest thing and the office is all just satire, right? It's all, and Gen Xers and millennials love it, but um, now it seems more like like Shit's Creek or Ted Lasso, like these things that are kind of more. Um, I don't even know the word to describe it. Just kind of like pure and genuine and um, happy. <laughs> like I, I think mm-hmm. that it's good to cling to things that we love just because we love them, and things that make us happy. And uh, Avatar is certainly that. I also feel like watching this through 
I feel like I'm older. It's like we watch the the kids like get older and like their faces start to mature. I feel like I'm older. Do you feel that way too? Maybe yes. it's just because I turned thirty this year. But well, time time has definitely passed over the. <laughs> if we go back and listen to season one of Avatar with academics, like we were so much younger then. We were babies. We were yeah. babies. <laughs> so. so no. So do you have a favorite episode of the podcast? Ooh. I really like when we have interviews on the podcast. Honestly, I think when you, me, and Esme were talking about um, the Ember Island players, I think that's my favorite one. That was really fun. And it's one of my favorite episodes. And again, it's just kind of like a happy like last breath before the finale um and it was fun hearing three generations right we had like three generations in one podcast talking about uh just kind of loving it just loving the podcast so i think that was it i also felt like i was sitting in on family dinner which was exciting (laughs) well i was gonna say that's my favorite episode and that's and you know we need to get into this episode but um I, i just need to say the other thing that i've really loved about this project is i watched season one kind of in secrecy i didn't really tell my family about this like i was watching it and i was doing this podcast and i'm like i don't i kind of like i don't know like am i is this something i should be proud of i didn't know and then when i got to the end of season one i remember so this was around christmas i remember finally kind of revealing it more to my family and being like this is this thing that's like that i'm doing and it's actually like really good you guys should watch this and they uh they caught up to us somewhere uh, when we were in season two, somewhere in season two, and then we started to watch the show as a family. Uh, and, you know, both my kids and my wife, all of us watched it, but especially Esme really got into the show um, and got into the podcast as well. So I feel like this project has brought us closer together. Um, Esme and I, this is something we just spend a lot of time talking about. Um, so I feel like that episode was a, a culmination of kind of what this project has done i mean we're bringing families together with this let's be honest right (laughs) that's beautiful that's beautiful (laughs) all right should we should we jump into the summary here is there anything we want to say about this episode before we jump into the summary Mm, i love this episode but i kind of just love all episodes of this of this show um i think I watched it through. I watched all four um, episodes as one. And I think my favorite, all my favorite parts are going to be in the third episode. And I think that's just kind of how a storytelling goes, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think the part that's the most interesting, the most chaotic, the most like um, high stakes is going to be like in the third act of four acts. Don't Mm -hmm. you think? Sure. Sure. I was surprised how late we get to kind of the denouement, the like after we've, after Aang has defeated, um, spoiler alert, after Aang has defeated Ozai, <laughs> like I was so interested in how are they going to tie up the world? And I kept looking at the clock thinking they haven't gotten there yet. Like there's not that much time left. Um, so, so that really interested me. Um, mm. You know, I would say, I would say I really liked this episode. Uh, they had a, they went out of their way to say, we are going to make this tough for us to resolve. And they came up with a resolution that, um, that I think is really fitting 
Now, I am going to have one big nit to pick with this. I told you this before we started recording, and I'm going to wait on it. Um, and actually, I'm curious to see if you can get out ahead of me and predict what that nit's going to be. So when you think it's coming, I want you to let me know. Um, because there, there is one, and it's not a weakness of the show, but it's to me, it's such a strange choice that they that they did something. So um, did or didn't do something. So we'll we'll see as we go through. It has to do with the resolution to like the the major conflict. There's there's one piece there that seems very strange to me. Huh. Okay, I'm curious. And that, okay, that's why listen. I wanted to start by saying I am co- approaching this with like an attitude of love. I really love this show, really love this episode. Um, but there's one piece that I was like, wow, if I were in the writer's room, I would have made this change. And maybe mm. you can make the case why they shouldn't have done what I what I would have done. Huh. Okay. Okay. I'm very curious. <laughs> did I just like change the energy in the room? I'm sorry if I did. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'm just curious now. I'm still excited, Sam. I'm still all right. excited. Let's let's jump into the summary. Okay, so we start off in the middle of an action scene. Uh, We have Ozai shooting fireball after fireball at Aang's rock iceberg, I call it, when Aang is inside that um, circular rock that he formed to try to protect himself from Fire Lord Ozai. And Ozai is smiling and taunting and says, you can't hide in there forever. Now, when we recorded last week, um, I don't know that we made a big enough deal out of what Ozai says right before this. So I want to make, I want to go back and make a big deal out of this. I got to say last week when we, if, if the energy seemed weird, um, I actually like had COVID when we recorded last time. Like <laughs> I was still pretty sick. Like that was a, that was a, I was in a strange state for this. I am back now. Um, so I want to go back to this. So he is, it's interesting how Ozai sees himself as finishing his grandfather's work, finishing Sozin's work. Because here's what he says to Aang as Aang is in this rock iceberg, right? He says, you're weak, just like the rest of your people. They did not deserve to exist in this world, in my world. Prepare to join them. Prepare to die. This is what he says. Like He is basically saying, a hundred years ago, there was a genocide one person slipped through. I am going to complete a genocide, right? Like, like, it is super dark. Mm-hmm. It is super. I mean, we know that that's what's happening, but the fact that he says, you know, the thing that's happening, let me just put it into words. Yep. Yeah. And even the, the phrase do not deserve to exist in this world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, that is putting like that. That is the, yeah, that, that is the, the mentality behind genocide. Like yeah. said in one sentence, people he believe is, other people don't deserve to exist. He is trying to extinguish the flame on an entire people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is so. dark. Those are the how, stakes. <laughs> right. I mean, that's how it ended too. That's how the last episode ended with that line, with those last words. Right. Take that seven year olds watching this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, he uh, continues um, his taunting, and as he does, we uh, jump to Sokka, who is racing across the top of the airship, and he's holding Toph's hand and leading her to a rudder. 
and he tells her to metal bend so it's jammed into a turning position, a permanent turning position that would cause it then to crash into the other ships. And without hesitation, Toph guides Sokka to the side, spits into both palms of her hands and grabs onto the metal and just starts kind of clawing at the metal, digging at it, curving the entire rudder over. And we see an aerial shot of the airship they're on colliding with the other airships. And Sokka says, have I ever mentioned how sweet it is that you invented metal bending? And Toph says, you can stand, you could stand to mention it more. Okay, I love this duo, and it just <laughs> occurred to me as I was going through your notes who this duo reminds me of, and it's oh. something that comes after Avatar. So I wonder, um, I wonder if if Avatar influenced this. But have you seen the movie Rogue One, a Star Wars story? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, well, there is a great pairing of characters in Rogue One. There's this guy named. Uh, Chirut Imi, who is like this kind of blind monk who like believes in the force. And this is a time when like the force is kind of dead. This is between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Um, and, you know, he's always talking about I am uh, the force. I am the force. The force is with me. Like he's kind of has this mantra that he says and he's always talking about the force and he's blind, but he's very powerful. Right. In that way. And then he, there's a character named uh, Baze Malbus, who is this like soldier who's not force sensitive, but like has a big gun basically, and like they're friends, and he kind of protects the blind monk as the blind monk does his stuff. And I was looking at the two of them, I saw seeing Sokka with his sword, somebody who's not a bender, who's there protecting the very powerful like earthbender metal bender, and I was like, this is a little bit of that dynamic, and I kind of love it. <laughs> Those are two of my favorite characters in Rogue One, and I just thought, oh, I wonder if Rogue One lifted that idea a little bit from this. Ah, okay. I'm, I'm sure it's in it. like other other. There's other literature where you can find this kind of thing, but for some reason, rewatching it, it just struck me this time as like that feels like that uh, that pairing. Yes, it 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 is a great pairing too because mm, they've always been great. These two together have always been funny, like. You have Toph's sarcasm and negativity. You have Sokka's dad jokes. Like it kind, of, it plays so well. Are there Sokka Toph shippers? I don't. I mean, I bet there's like yeah. I mean, you can find any shippers okay. out there, right? But I bet there is. I mean, it wouldn't work, and but clearly the show like at moments like hints towards that. There, the Serpents Pass episode, we get a little bit of that, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I do love them as a pairing, though. Yeah, they seem like besties. So we uh, see a firebender emerge from a nearby like trap door on top of the airship. I don't really know what as it you is. put on your metal blimp, right? Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and he shoots streams of fire at the duo, and they begin to run across the width of the airship. And Sokka takes his sword and stabs it into the metal as they slide down the side of the airship. Uh, and, like, the airship is going down, right? Like, they're hitting into other airships. Like, this is not good. Um, and they're holding on by just his sword and still plummeting toward the bottom of the ship. And the sword loses its hold and Sokka and Toph free fall. And Sokka lands on a metal platform below the ship 
and he's still holding Toph's hand and she dangles above the ocean. And Sokka can't move his leg, so Toph has to hold on to him. And the two firebenders run to platforms on either side of them and they're ready to shoot. But as they do, Sokka grabs his boomerang, uh, throws it at one, knocks that person out, reaches for his sword and tosses it at the other man, and both the men fall off the ship, and so does his space sword, which makes him sad. It's really interesting. It's, I'm glad you said that Toph is is like hanging over the ocean. Yeah. Because that that hadn't occurred to me, but like, again, she is one of the most powerful people in this world, but what like a vulnerable position for her to be in, because she's in the air, so she can't, you know, quote unquote, see the way that she normally sees and dropping her in the water, I assume is as blinding as flying, mm-hmm. right? Cause she's not feeling vibrations. I mean, that, that is, I mean, that, that is such a precarious position to see her in. Yeah. Plus you could be like, you could say like, okay, well, can't she, I mean, she's powerful. There's metal around her. She's not touching it, but it's like Sokka is touching it, but Sokka's injured. Mm-hmm. So there's also like a, what if she bent it and hurt him more? You know, there's like, there's so many things that could go really bad if she right. were to do something. And I love, it's this sort of sequence where we're getting all these kind of hero moments and like Sokka really gets his sort of Indiana Jones moment in this scene. I think the whole thing with the sword coming down and, and all of this stuff feels a little Indiana Jonesy, And I, I, mm. I, I dig that from Sokka. Also, I love a good scene where someone's holding on to someone else and they're about to fall and their hands, the, their fingers slip and it's like, oh my gosh, are they gonna, is it the end? And they look at each other and then it's okay. I love those scenes. Okay. Because those happen all the time in movies. <laughs> How often in life do we have, I mean, we have metaphorically that situation all the time. That's a, you know, but like how often in life is somebody dangling for their life and somebody else is holding on with one hand and do they ever get saved is what I wanted. Cause in movies, they never die that way. Oh yeah. No. And uh, like, what a weird trope. Be, yes. Right. It's like, so he- like that would be so hard. So heavy. I would be really someone. bad at that. Yeah. Yes. To carry someone like by their wrist. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's hope that you and I are never in a situation like that. That's right. <laughs> we will not make it. So a squad of firebenders runs to the lower deck of the ship and they aim their hands at the two kids to firebend. And so it looks like all hope is lost and Toph begins to lose her grip and she holds on to Sokka just by her fingertips. And Sokka says, I don't think Boomerang is coming back, Toph. Looks like this is the end. And the soldiers begin to run and Sokka turns to see an airship that's headed toward them. And so the soldiers are running away in fear. And the airship rams into their ship. And Toph and Sokka drop to the top of this new airship. And Toph, clearly confused, says, how did that happen? Did Boomerang come back? And Sokka says, no, Suki did. And we get what I think is one of the sweetest shots in this episode slash maybe this four part four parter of Suki holding on to the rudder of this new ship and like her hair is blowing in the wind and she has this huge smile on her face 
and um, she like looks like like the captain or like a pirate or something. She, yeah, yeah. She looks amazing. And this is a pro Suki podcast, and and we talked last week about how like she didn't really get a hero moment in the last episode. Like she's there and drives the ship, but it's like we didn't get to see Suki do something awesome. And it's like, oh, because they were waiting till now for Suki <laughs> to do something awesome. So this reminded me of another. Uh, I don't know why I'm like in the mood for Star Wars references, but another Star Wars reference. Um, at the this reminds me of the end of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, when they're in Cloud City above the the gas planet Bespin, I don't know why I dropped that name in there, but but okay, I just, I'm showing off now. And you know, remember Luke? This is when he loses his arm, right? So he's injured, mm, mm. just like Sokka's injured. Do you know what else Luke loses when he loses his arm? His sword. Yes. What did Sokka lose? His sword. His space sword. Yeah. And then so they so he ends up falling down. And what catches him when he falls down? The Millennium Falcon, right? So, and and who's on there? Princess Leia. So this is like, like Leia coming to save Luke by oh. by bringing the ship in underneath after he's been injured and loses his sword. And at this point, we don't know Leia and Luke are brother and sister yet. So like, we still feel like romantic feelings between them. This is very much like that the sort of end of Empire. There's a lot of nice little quotes there. Yeah, in my notes, I almost wrote Millennium Suki. Yeah, just because yeah. it it felt like that perfect yes. timing. Yeah, I was so excited to see her. I know, me too. I'm glad, especially you got that especially because when they when they split up, she's like, "Just keep going, I'll be fine." And Sokka's like, "No," and you realize, "No, Suki's gonna be fine." Because Suki is the ultimate survivor. I think, like she, yes, yeah, she has been left for dead a few times and still comes out on top. Yeah, Suki's no UA. <laughs> Does that's that mean? Right. No. <laughs> maybe, maybe Su- that's me. Suki is greater than UA, right? Yes, in, yeah. in many ways. So uh, we are back in the Rock Pillar Forest, is what I've named it. Um, and Ozai is uh, flying at Aang's rock iceberg. And uh, he finally drives the iceberg, or the rockberg, <laughs> against a wall. And he's hurling tunnels of fire into it. And Aang sits inside the rock and he's trying to hold the rock together. He's sweating and his face is more and more concentrated and concerned. And we see Ozai run backwards and kind of charge his fireball and runs and jumps and lands directly in front of the rock. And it's this last attack that's enough to cause the rocks to slowly peel away from Aang and it leaves him exposed with just a layer of airbending to protect him. Yeah, and this is so such an interesting thing because what we've always heard about Aang is the evade and avoid, the evade and avoid. And it's like this rock ball is the end of his opportunity to evade and avoid. And once mm-hmm. it's blown away, it's like we are there is no more opportunity to avoid the thing he's been avoiding this whole time. Yep, he has to confront it. Mm-hmm. So the attack pushes Aang up against the rocks behind him. And we see the, the wound on his back collides with a jagged rock. And he screams out in pain. And time seems to pause for a split second. We see lightning strike around Aang. We have this black background and Aang's body is brightly lit up in white. 
Again, this is all just for a millisecond. And then we see inside Aang's mind, I guess in his avatar vision, we see he looks down the row of past avatars. Like we've seen, we've seen this before, right? Um, he looks from himself to Roku. Roku looks at Kyoshi down the line. All of their eyes light up. And there's this yellow glowing background. I got so excited at this point. Because... <laughs> Because I love the I love the mythology of the Avatar, and I loved when we learned about the Avatar state. And now realizing, you know, getting this moment where, you know, we saw Aang speaking to past versions of himself, um, but it's been a long time since we've had the Avatar state. I mean, it's since the end of season um, season two, right? Mm-hmm. That we're, we're that that he's really tapping into the fact that like it is not just his power, but his power throughout all of time and I, I love whenever we get this like vast image of avatars past because it what it points to is this history um that is only referenced but you just know like there's actually like hundreds of avatar or, or thousands of avatar and like any reference to that excites me because it also uh is an allusion to the world the world building uh, uh-huh. And it, at this point, it seems as, yeah, rewatching it, I don't quite know. I think this is the point when Aang's chakra is like fully opened, right? I think it's when the the rock hits his back or something, you know, like that seems to unlock something. But it's, I feel like it also pairs with what the lion turtle did too, like, I don't know. Both of these moments are pivotal, but they're also mm, vague enough that I'm not sure if they build upon each other or if they are separate moments that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. But we hear the song from season one where uh, Aang joined the water spirit. Also, whenever you hear that song, it's like, this is, things are going to get great. Yeah. Um, Aang's eyes and his tattoos start to glow and he enters the avatar state and his final chakra is open. And we see Ozai does not know what is going on, does not know this has happened yet. He calls into the pile of rocky rubble, still taunting Aang. And then Aang's glowing hand reaches out and grabs hold of Ozai's beard. I can ask you a question. Now, do you remember the first time you saw this? No, mm, vaguely, vaguely. Okay, because I I will say when I watched this the first time, I was a little worried because it's like, okay, so this has happened. Avatar State is now engaged. We know that no matter how powerful Ozai is, like it is nothing compared to the Avatar State because like Sozin's common or not, it's like the Avatar State is this ultimate power, which is why they talked about this back in the beginning of season one in the avatar state episode, right? It's like, well, if we can just unlock this, he'll, he's unstoppable. And I got worried that it's like, are we going to get, there is a potential cop out ending that is avatar state power that it's like, well, he could do anything. And it also sort of would relieve Aang of like too much direct guilt for, for if he like kills Ozai, because it's like, well, 
did Aang do it or did like the entire history of the Avatar do it? Because it's not clear that Aang is like in control, but like the totality of the Avatar in control, even the way the voice works. So I got a little worried when I when the Avatar state clicked in. Now, what we're going to see is they actually do this really well. Mm. But I got I will say I got nervous Mm because that's not the ending I wanted. Right. And it's interesting, too, that you brought up. I kind of. I kind of had forgotten that Avatar State is just like um, <clears throat> the way Avatar State is so intense that it's like even even the most powerful person outside of the Avatar could not stand a chance. And so while you were saying that, I was like, oh, I wonder if his like nitpicky thing is that Ozai wouldn't even be able to handle like a minute of of the attack. No, that's not, not the, it. Not the nitpick. Okay, Cause, okay. Because I'm willing to buy the power of Sozin's Comet. Is like this yes. is this can hold its own for a while with Avatar State. I'm willing right. to do. I'm willing to have that. And now we get Ozai evading and avoiding. Like he Ozai is not attacking. He is running. And so like yeah, <laughs> when a rabbit is running away from a predator, like it can run away for a while, but eventually, mm-hmm. um, it, it will it will be caught. Right. So. Mm. Um. Uh. So that's not the nitpick. That is not the nitpick. Ah, oh, man. Okay, I'm gonna keep. It's. It hasn't happened yet. Has not. I. You will. You will know it when it happens because I will present why I think I would have done something differently. Ah. Uh, okay. Okay. So Ozai tries to slice Aang with fire because all he sees is Aang's hand, but Aang slaps his hand away, and the fire propels into the sky. And then Aang air blasts Ozai back hundreds of feet, and he's tumbling and smashing into a uh, a rock pillar. And as the dust settles, Ozai sees Aang approaching in the sky, and Aang is inside kind of his trademark air ball this time. Mm -hmm. And he floats above and roars, and fire escapes from his mouth and from his bald fists and his feet. And so we have five streams of fire coming from around him, eventually beginning to circle this air ball. Yeah, like a ring of Saturn or something. Yes, exactly. And then we have boulders that are just being torn from the ground, and they're lifting and uh, joining above above the ground, also circling this fire and air orb. And then we <laughs> zoom out more, and we see waves from the seashore seemingly draw towards ang as well it, it doesn't even look like they are being waterbent it looks like they're just joining him don't you think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and uh so that eventually ang's air orb has all four elements circling around it the sky around him is red the ground is a dust storm from the winds and it all looks incredibly apocalyptic i loved this image uh because this is yeah, I mean, it's like this merging of his powers because, you know, you think about the progression you see over the course of this show is Aang starts as a, as an airbender, then he learns water bending, but it, then he learns earth, then he learns fire. But it's like those things are still kind of like these separate things that he can do. And it's like when he's really become Avatar Aang, which is the title of this episode, it's like those things work in concert in a different kind of way. Even then we saw at the end of last episode where he's fluidly moving from one to the other. Now it's like he's doing them all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I also find, I also love the, the imagery, the iconography of Avatar State Aang. Like 
you see his body, but it's like it's like his body is like tensed up in this like it's this he's still like this scrawny little ang, but he's so ripped at the same time. It's really like I really like the way they do that. It looks really cool. Yeah, I feel like if he were to talk and if his voice sounded like normal Aang, it just would feel so off. Not only because we know his voice is supposed to be layered, but like he looks so intense and powerful and sc- yeah. he's like actually scary. Yeah, it's like the tension of of the totality of the power of the world is coursing through him. It's really like I they did a they do a great job of showing that without having to like tell it or describe it. I really like that. Mm-hmm. So we don't get this for long. Instead, we go back to Bossing Say, which I was excited about. We see Boomy single-handedly take on Firebender tanks. He ends up launching them up into the sky and stacking them like blocks. Um, so these huge tanks are just like it's a tower of like broken tanks. And then we see Iroh, who stands before the palace of Bossing Say. And the palace has the Fire Nation banner floating over um, the center of it. And Iroh is entirely alone. Behind him, we see earth, water, and fire elements kind of in the sky as we know that the White Lotus are attacking and, and getting firebenders out of the city. And Iroh casts fire onto the banner and watches it blaze and then the stone symbol of the Earth Nation and Bossing Say is revealed behind it. I loved this imagery because we uh, we see these banners a lot, and there is this kind of um, I mean, this is more kind of liberation of Paris stuff. But there is like we're not just taking back the city, but we are tearing we're tearing down the iconography that you have placed over it, that you've covered up the history, you've covered up what this is, and we're now purifying it in that way. Um, I like I like seeing Iroh do this. I um I feel bad that I hadn't thought of Iroh as like liberating the Earth Kingdom, liberating Bossing Say until we get to him saying that that's what he realizes is his destiny. And it's like, yes, that's perfect. It's so <laughs> that is perfect storytelling, you know, to make the person whose claim to fame was this six hundred day siege mm. and you know now it comes full circle to this is kind of amazing. Yeah, and when we we um, had the tales of Bossing say, we saw how much that battle marks Iroh, not only because of the loss of his son, but also we kind of he- like we hear and see him deal with the pain of what he caused in the past, and so it's nice to have um, reconciliation, redemption for Iroh. As a character who, like, in my mind, doesn't need redemption because I love him and we've only ever seen him as a great person, um, but he does have this dark past. Yeah, and we know that he's haunted by it, even if we mm. don't see him haunted by it. You know, in the same way, in the same way that he sees Zuko in one way, but Zuko can't see himself that way, we see Iroh the way that Iroh sees Zuko, right? Mm. So we have to understand that Iroh probably has a little bit of this still in him and this is his uh, this is his ability to ex- to exercise that final piece of it mm-hmm. i'm also really happy that we we only get a little bit this episode of the white lotus we kind of had the white lotus episode already mm-hmm. but i'm glad that we had the earthbender um 
taking back bossing say we have like a really triumphant boomy scene mm-hmm. followed by the firebender tearing down images of his own nation uh, as like his own like imperial nation i think it was a great choice to have those two as like our quick bossing say is being liberated i love it so meanwhile we go back to avatar state ang who is in his element orb still chasing ozai Ozai's using fire jets, dodging between rock pillars, um, evading and avoiding. Then back at the Fire Nation capital in the Agni Kai arena, we see Zuko laying motionless. But suddenly he he awakens and tries to pick himself up. I'm amazed how long it took to get to the Fire Nation story. Because, like, you know, we think about where the last episode left off. Um, that's one of the most interesting, interesting story threads, and the fact that we we kind of get the total Sokka Toph Suki resolution. We get all this Ang stuff. We get Bossing Sing, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, remember the thing with the characters you maybe care the most about? Let's finally get around to that." I loved it. Hey, remember how Zuko might be dead, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, Katara runs to help. Uh, Zuko, but Azula interrupts with blue fire and she's laughing and attacking Katara. And Zuko watches helplessly from the ground as Katara evades attacks. And Azula says, I'd really rather our family physician look after little Zuzu, if you don't mind. And she jumps on a rooftop and summons lightning and she strikes it at Katara as Katara dashes behind pillars in the arena audience. And Katara notices as she's running, she sees a nearby water basin and bends a wave at Azula, who dodges and flies at Katara. And Katara ice bend waves <laughs> to skate away. So and what I like is that's what we saw Paku doing in the last episode. So I like that we're seeing kind of this mirror of like she is doing the things that that Paku does because they're because she because he is her teacher so yes also uh we don't get this but Katara should definitely be in the White Lotus right oh yeah yeah Uh, like I guess our whole crew should be yes but Katara especially Katara is the um I mean yeah she's the type of person who I think most uh I mean, other than Aang, most can live at the intersection of these different types. You mm-hmm. know? She's also mm-hmm. like Hermione enough to like want to learn about the other bending types. Like, I don't know that Toph wants to learn about like <laughs> being a waterbender or anything, you know, but like I could see Katara wanting to learn from firebenders and earthbenders and airbenders. Yep, exactly. Uh, so there is, so it's important. We, we were wondering last episode if there's water nearby. Clearly Katara was able to find water in the arena. She lands or kind of falls onto a grate behind some pillars. And she realizes again that there's water underneath. There's kind of like a flowing little stream under this grate. And she finds that every pillar has a torch with a chain around it. Now what I what I loved about about like her finding the the water, you know, under the grate. Um oddly this reminds me of something that Hama had told her about, like about finding water where like that water's always all around you, you just sort of need to find it. Mm-hmm. You know, oh no, Hama's talking about taking it out of living things and taking it out of the air, but that like Katara has learned to be observant about 
where water is and that in the you know in the darkest moments you can still find that you can you can still find that element so i i, I really i thought that was really interesting yeah it reminds me of when katara used her sweat drops to cut mm-hmm. through the metal mm-hmm. so katara emerges from behind a pillar and azula says there you are you filthy peasant all right explain that look you just made what that's terrible <laughs> so I so mean, here here's what i thought about when i when i heard that line is it um it, it made me think of how you always talk about like um kind of the superiority of the fire nation and kind of the class issues these types of things it also made me think of monty python and the holy grail um oh. you know the scene with the with with king arthur and then the 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 peasants as they're like <laughs> collecting mud or what i don't know what they're mm-hmm. doing and there's a point where he keeps trying to like talk to them and 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 they keep like uh contradicting him and then he just breaks down and he says something like he calls him i think he even calls him something like a filthy peasant and he's like well there's the giveaway <laughs> that's what i'm on about come see the violence inherent in the system and i'm just like this is like i just wanted katara to say like did you hear that did you hear what she said <laughs> yeah Yes, that's I know it it felt like uh, too almost too on the nose, but at yeah. the same time like her dad just said similar things to Aang mm-hmm. like in the last episode, you don't belong here, like you like your people shouldn't exist in this world and mm-hmm. like it's essentially what Azula is saying to Katara too. Yeah, and that's what sometimes happens in those sort of moments. I mean uh Azula is in this clearly like manic state you know and um and is in this kind of desperate state and and both she and her father are kind of saying the quiet part loud at this point right like they're mm-hmm. just they're they're not uh they're not hiding anything that they're saying like, clearly these are the thoughts that she always has yeah now she's just saying it yes exactly so as azula walks toward katara um, she stands, she steps onto the grate. Um, Katara's on the other side. And they attack one another, but Katara bends the water up from the grate in a giant wave and freezes it around the two of them. So they are frozen in their attacks. And Azula's hand is an inch away from Katara's face, like ready to firebend into her face. Such an awesome visual. Mm, it's Yeah, I'm not doing it justice. <laughs> And Katara is able, and this is when it slows down, like the storytelling slows down, just like the water frozen, right? So Katara breathes out of her nose and warms the ice around her and melts enough to move through the mini iceberg that she made. Um, And she's moving like she's swimming because she's in water. (laughs) And she slowly wraps chains around Azula's arm and ties them back uh, to the grate below. And then she releases all of the water, and they both gasp for air. And I so- loved the gasp for air moment because it didn't connect with me that the whole time Katara's doing this, she's also... I mean, she can't breathe underwater just because she's a waterbender. Like, she is... There's a ticking clock for how much time she has to do this before she needs to free both herself and Azula. I, so, like, that that little, like moment where they show them both gasping like 
it's like after the fact points you out how amazing what you just saw was yes it's there's a ticking clock and yet at the same time she is chill she is like smooth it doesn't look like she's stressed at all she knew exactly what she needed to do so as the water uh goes back into the grate we see um azula is tied to the grate katara runs to zuko and rolls him over and puts healing water onto his chest and he thanks her and he's able to sit up and they both look at azula who rages on the grate and she's blowing blue fire from her mouth screaming and crying and writhing on the ground now, an interesting thing in this episode is this is where we leave her. Mm. We don't see any more Azula after this. Mm-hmm. Even even in the like resolution of the of the the show. So like, um, we should say our farewells to Azula. But like, what an interesting way to leave her storyline. Yeah, we leave her with in the most pathetic display ever i mean mm-hmm. like even qatar like i didn't mention what their faces look like but qatar and zuko as they turn to look at azula who is writhing on the ground both of them it's like a mixture of disgust and pity mm-hmm. right like they both are looking like oh my god like what has she become well and, Kat- and uh, uh azula almost seems like a like an animal at this point like it's it's mm-hmm. like it's like her humanity is slipping away from her. I mean, it's it's a really interesting, mm. um, interesting image, mm. you know. And again, for a character that's this central to the show, uh, you know, we're gonna get a we're gonna get more resolution with a lot of other characters. This one gets kind of left there. So this so one of the themes that I find interesting as we get to the end of this show is, I thought that they were going to put a lot of work into like definitively tying up loose ends. Mm. It turns out they do the opposite, which is they actually welcome loose ends because there are, so this is now that I've seen the whole show, I've started to dive into some other pieces a little bit more. Um, There are all kinds of comic books or graphic novels that come out that continue this story so I don't know that there's one that tells us more about what happens to Azula but what I've come to appreciate about this this concluding episode is that they're perfectly happy to say yeah you kind of wonder what happened to Azula maybe there's more you can explore that's going to tell you more about that but we don't have to resolve all of that here so, yes. so like I said, I think we should just sort of tip the hat to say, like, this is the last we're going to see of this character, which is re- a really interesting place to leave her. Yes, absolutely. So then Avatar Aang, uh, we go back and he continues to chase Ozai through the rock pillar forest. And as Aang approaches, he sends a wave of water that crashes onto Ozai and douses Ozai's fire rocket, I guess you could call it. <laughs> um and Ozai is able to escape just in time, shooting through the air with fire. And so the attacks continue on both sides. Ozai actually does some really sweet stuff. He kind of like holds his own for a bit. Um, there's there's like a moment where he is really innovative and he takes he's shooting streams of fire at two rock pillars that are far apart and makes them he the force of his fire makes the rock pillars break and collide into each other, almost like he's earthbending them at Aang, which Wait, is, is really cool. 
is this becoming a pro Ozai podcast all of a sudden? <laughs> I just think we need to we need to acknowledge that he is quite adept. At... He has skill. He he's yes. a very skilled firebender, especially with the power of the comet. Is it too much to say he's a worthy opponent? I don't know that he's worthy of anything, but he is um he's powerful. Yes. <laughs> and Aang catches Ozai though with uh one of the it's like a well, water arm. We've seen mm-hmm. Katara do this before. We've seen Aang do it before. Um, and slams him onto the top of a pillar. And Ozai's on his back. He's unable to move. And Aang bends a rock around each of Ozai's limbs. And uh, the Aang orb lowers and floats right, right above Ozai, who looks now terrified. And in the layered avatar voice, we finally hear Aang, and he says, Fire Lord Ozai, you and your forefathers have devastated the balance of this world, and now you shall pay the ultimate price. So at this moment, I was so wondering what was going to happen. Because here, this is the this is the peak of, are we going to get avatar cop-out, where it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I was on the edge of my seat here. Aang lifts his hands and charges them and creates a spiral of water, fire, earth, and air that snakes through the sky above them like a dragon. And he brings the four elements down towards Ozai, and it's all like into a point, right? Like the stream is into a point that's just about to hit Ozai. But we see a shot of Aang's arm, which loses its avatar glow. And the water and stones, instead of ramming into Ozai, just kind of dump onto him. And he is still shocked. This is what I had hoped for. Yeah. I had hoped that he would... I mean, this this the show prepared us for this. Because if we think about the the training that Sokka runs them through with the Melon Lord, this is exactly what Aang does, right? He gets right to the point... And then realizes he's not going. He can't do this. So if he had just done it here, it would have felt like, well, what was all of that sort of philosophical, uh, ethical, like wavering that he did about? Because we didn't see him come to a resolution. He just mm. he would have just acted. So I, I loved this moment. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I love that. Aang still has some control of who he is when he's in the Avatar state, too. That it's not just everyone else before him. He's not just a machine, but it's like there is a little bit of Aang in there that can decide. But he has to leave the Avatar state to do this, which is also Mm. interesting that he's like, I think had he stayed in it, they collectively destroy him. But this is Aang taking leadership of all Avatar's past, which Mm -hmm. is him. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So Aang now with no glow lowers his air orb to the ground and he turns his back on Ozai, which is quite a move. I don't know to like leave this guy there, turn your back on him. It, Ozai is not like under any rock pillars. He's just like freely sitting. And uh, he, so yeah. So Aang releases the stones around Ozai's arms and legs And he says, no, I'm not going to end it like this. And Ozai on his hands and knees looks up at Aang and says, even with all the power in the world, 
You are still weak. And he lunges toward Aang. But before he can take a step, everything turns dark for a second. And we see kind of like Toph bending vision where uh, you can see or like he's sensing where Ozai's feet are on the ground. Uh, and we see Ozai reach his hand or um, uh, we see Ozai reach his hands and feet, try to take a step on the ground. And a glowing Aang can sense where Ozai's hands and feet are. And so then in an instant, Aang kicks up his back leg, like we're back in real time, Aang kicks up his back leg, still facing away from Ozai, and catches Ozai's firebending arm in a small pillar of rock, stopping his attack. This is very hard to explain. Right. <laughs> no, no, what I love about that is that he does this with earthbending. And you talked about, like, how could you turn your back on on ozai in this moment you know, you know well because ozai is not hindered by anything and what i love about the one little toff vision shot is we realize he ozai only thinks ang has turned his back on him because that little moment is telling us toff has taught ang to see without seeing right mm. toff toff has taught ang to see even when his back is turned so it's almost like I mean, you can read this as, well, Aang knows Ozai's going to attack and he's going to be vulnerable because he is, to use something we talked about from the very beginning of the show, he's underestimating Aang. He thinks, well, mm-hmm. Aang is weak. Aang is showing weakness. When in fact, Aang, what Aang is doing is saying, I don't even need to look at you to see you. Mm-hmm. So it also, it also that. celebrates Toph. Yes. That makes me so happy too, thinking about that, that like Toph is... Toph, I mean, of course, Toph has a hand in the victory at the end, but to see it so clearly, like mm-hmm. to actually have Toph vision is amazing. And maybe she's the best teacher. Yeah. I mean, may, yeah, I mean, like, yes, without that, I, I, if Aang was facing Ozai, I don't know that Ozai would have the, I guess, I, I don't know that he would try to attack. I think mm-hmm. that I think Ozai is quite weak. I think Ozai is the one that knew he was almost beaten. And so like Aang had to turn his back, had to appear vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Had to appear weak um, for Ozai to, yeah, Ozai's a to, wimp. That's, yes. what, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> and, I, and I think what Ozai does opens himself up to what Aang does to him. And he would only do that if he thought Aang couldn't see him. Yeah. So, I mean, Toph defeated the Fire Lord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Toph's the, Toph is the real hero. Right, right. So Aang uh, circles around Ozai and does the same with Ozai's other arm. So now Ozai stands and his arms are kind of out at a T pose, one in one rock pillar, one in the other. So he's like fully exposed, like his chest is like exposed, right? Like Aang could easily kill him. Um. And Aang lowers the rocks down toward the ground so that Ozai is on his hands and his knees and his hands are kind of behind him in a very similar pose to Azula on the water grates. Now, here's what I found interesting about this. So Aang has now basically um, locked down Ozai's hands and legs, right? As if Mm. they were in buckets of glue. Do you remember he laid this plan out to Zuko when he's like, what if we just got these buckets of glue and we got him stuck so he couldn't, you know, he couldn't move his hands and legs. He's basically done that right now with rocks. 
That's awesome. I never even noticed that. That's hilarious. Oh my god. I love that. I love when like all of their little jokes about how their plans are going to go actually go that way. Like, oh, are we just going to walk up to the Fire Lord's palace and knock on his door and see if he's there? And it's like, yeah, that's kind of what they did during the day of Black Sun. (laughs) Amazing. So with a small blast of fire, Aang puts one hand on Ozai's head and one on Ozai's heart. And he breathes deeply. And we hear and kind of see a flashback of the lion turtle who's telling Aang this. In the era before the Avatar, we bent not the elements, but the energy within ourselves. And we see the moment when the lion turtle touched Aang's forehead and his heart, too. And suddenly Aang's, uh, Aang lifts his head to the sky, still touching Ozai. And here's where describing what happens gets a little bit tricky. <laughs> Just do your we best. S- yeah, well, I'll do my best. Um we see a stream of glowing blue light shoot out from Aang's eyes and mouth, which are aimed towards the sky. So it looks like a light show. It looks like these bright blue beams in the sky. Ozai's eyes are scared and they also begin to glow. And it seems without, it seems like Aang wants his eyes to. Ozai doesn't. Like something in Aang is triggering this in Ozai. Mm-hmm. And Ozai, uh, also begins to glow out of his mouth and his eyes, but it's glowing red. And his three beams of light also shoot into into the sky and kind of cross through Aang's blue beams, so blue and red. Aang's whole body starts to glow this electric blue, and Ozai's body, in turn, glows red. And everything behind Aang, like half of what we see, like the right side of the TV screen, um, the rocks, the sky, it all turns blue. The left side uh, behind Ozai, all of it turns red. So the world is split in half between a blowing, a glowing red and a glowing blue. And then we hear the lion turtle say, To bend another's energy, your own spirit must be unbendable, or you will be corrupted and destroyed. And we see the red from Ozai slowly take over Aang's blue glow and that of the world around Aang so that everything except for Aang's face is now red. And the glow from Aang's eyes and mouth soon also begin to turn red. And so in the sky, as we zoom out, the stream of blue light from Aang shrinks and shrinks in the sky and it's barely visible. It's surrounded by the glowing red. But in a swell of music, we see Aang overcome the red, and his body, glowing in blue, takes over the red glow around him, even on Ozai. And the blue beam shoots high into the sky and then disappears. Ozai collapses on the ground. He tries to move, and he says, What did you do to me? And Aang, in a normal Aang voice, says, I took away your firebending. You can't use it to hurt or threaten anyone else ever again. Okay, super cool solution to the problem. I was very <laughs> excited for this, but we have reached my nitpick. Uh-oh. Do you know what it is? Uh, no. I'm curious. I, I, no. <laughs> the thing that bothers me is that we get these two flashbacks to the lion turtle, right? But the lion turtle is saying something to Aang that he didn't say in the, in the, in the episode before when Aang talks to him. 
that like so I went because I was like, oh, are we seeing a flashback to what he said? And I thought, man, how did I not pick up on the lion turtle saying those things? So I went back to a transcript from um, the old masters. And here's what the lion turtle says. The lion turtle says the true mind can weather all lies and illusions without being lost. The true heart can tough the position, uh, can tough the poison of hatred without being harmed. Since beginningless time, darkness thrives in the void, but always yields to a purifying light. That's what he says. Now, that's great what he says there, and it touches on kind of what happens. Like, Lion Turtle does a great job there. I just would have had the Lion Turtle say the stuff he flashes back to. Because you know what? I'm pretty dumb. I wouldn't have been like, well, clearly the solution is he's going to bend Ozai's fire out of him. It just kind of bothered me that the solution was something that... I couldn't have seen because, like, I don't know that the seeds were fully planted. Yeah. So why did they not have the lion turtle say those things or some version of that so they could flash back to something and we would have all been like, oh, that's what he's going to do. Like, that would have been so cool. Uh... Um, again, it's a nitpick. I don't really care. But, like, that's that's if I was in the writer's room, I would have said, we have to we have to flash back to something the lion turtle says. Yep. Because then we can show people the solution was there. It just mm-hmm. took this moment for him to get it. Because otherwise, I end up feeling it does feel a little bit like, well, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and we have that image of the lion turtle touching Aang's forehead and chest, just like Aang does to, um, to, to Ozai. I just wished, I wish that what he had said there would have connected. Again, yeah. minor nitpick, love the show, love the episode, love the resolution. That's my only piece. No, I get that. Tell, I, but tell me I'm wrong. Tell me why, why I'm wrong because I want to know. I want to feel like I'm missing something. I know if Jasmine were here, she would explain to me why I'm wrong. And, I, and, I, <laughs> and I'm, op- I'm open to being wrong on this. No, I mean, no, I, I totally see what you're talking about on – on a, it, it seems like on a lesser scale or, or on a greater scale, the how I felt with the end of the Harry Potter series where it's like, oh, cool, you're introducing Horcruxes and like you're introducing these things that are supposed to resolve the story. And we didn't get that until the last book. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it, it felt a little bit like that. I mean, I would argue that harry potter like that ending was much worse and like it was just adding a, a lot more that we never would have known but at um, least it doesn't add it in the last scene yes <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> like i just i just wish and maybe there is you know and this is where i maybe need to do some reading maybe if you pay attention the notion of this has always been there and i just didn't catch it and i'm mm. totally open to that it's just it just feels like like I love the solution. I love the idea of bending another's power. Like that's so interesting. It's just I didn't I don't know if the seed was planted there. Yeah, it makes me want to go back and watch all of the Spirit World episodes yep. specifically. Like the library might be something where I you know, I just it makes me want to go back and listen really carefully to mm-hmm. what they tell him. Well, and you know, and part of it is that what the lion turtle says in the flashbacks, they could have just had him say that, and I would it would have been, um, 
cryptic enough to me to be like, I don't know what he's talking about. And then yep. when you see this, you would have been like, Sam, you're a dummy. He told you what to do and you didn't see it. That would have worked for me. But maybe it is that I'm a dummy. And if, if, if it would have been there, other people would have been like, well, clearly there's your solution. He's going to do this. I wouldn't have read. I promise you, I would not have read, figured it out. Right. And it's like, okay, so I wouldn't have either. And if this was coming out, uh, so if these four episodes came out with like a week in between each one, maybe if they had put that dialogue in the third episode, like devoted fans within that week could get something, you know, like Mm -hmm. you would have time to sit and chew on every word of the episode and be like, okay, what does all this mean? Maybe you could predict it, but it did come out as a four-parter. Yeah. And I think but the speed of watching all those episodes together, I don't know that, I don't know that it would be very easy for anybody yeah. to think of this solution. It just feels like when you get that flash to the lion turtle, when I watched it, I thought, oh, wow, that's what he said. How did I miss that? And I was a little disappointed to realize that's not what he said. Mm. You know, because it, because it, everything visually tells you this is what you were told. Now, I'm also mm. open to this is what he told Aang when he touched his forehead and chest and we just didn't hear it, that it was some sort of like, like spiritual message he received as the lion turtle bent Ang's power. Mm-hmm. Totally open to somebody saying that's what happened. That's what I choose to tell myself because mm-hmm. I need to know, like somehow this was communicated to Ang before and he is putting those pieces together. That's my read on it. And I am perfectly happy with that reading and I will go to bat. I will testify in court to that reading, but I, I still think I would have shown it. Yeah. But you know, again, it is, it, it is a knit. It is not a, it is not a plot hole. You know, I, I feel okay with it. Cause I'm like, dude, turtles are slow. They had a lot of ocean to go through. Like, I can't imagine him being like, I'm beginning this time. And then being like, okay, cool. Well, I need to get you to shore. <laughs> like, what do we talk about now? Like, there's a good half hour of travel. So, like, I'm go- I'm cool with the two of them having, like, a deep conversation that we just never heard. And it's like, ah, that's between the Avatar and the Lion Turtle, you know? And maybe some of that is huge plot stuff. But, like, eh, well, all right. Yeah, see, <laughs> I don't like me. that. That solution to me feels like, oh, it was just on the cutting room floor. And it's like... No, if it's that important, you got to show it to us. Yeah. I, I'm open to he didn't say it in words, but he said it in some other kind mm. of way at that that moment. Because clearly the way he's touching Aang is the way that Aang is touching Ozai. So I believe Aang's power was bent at that moment. Yeah. So maybe maybe the lion turtle is showing, not telling. you know. And this is Aang now fully understanding what happened to him there. Again, I'm talking myself into this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's we don't good. need to harp on this anymore. I just like <laughs> that was the one piece where I was like, it would have been. I felt a little cheated when I looked back at what the lion turtle said, and it's like, why didn't he say what he said there? But yep. again, yep. minor, minor stuff. No, and I like your solution of it was passed to him through a different language that we can't understand, right? Mm-hmm. Like Aang has always been in touch with nature, always been in touch with animals, been able to like sense things. Mm-hmm. about appa and momo so like and this is yep. the spirit world too yeah and lion turtles are awesome so they can do oh. all kinds of things that i can't understand <laughs> right <laughs> so we get a scene then that hmm, reminded me of the end of the lion king where everything's on fire and then like the rains come in and like 
clean it out and, and make everything new again. So we get Aang walking to the edge of the rock pillar. And he summons the Avatar Glow briefly, this time on his own and just for a second. And he brings up the ocean waves to wash away the fire that's scorching the earth around them. Like he actually raises the ocean level. <laughs> and then he lowers the water again. And he stands triumphant as Momo flies in to sit on his shoulder. Okay, I want to defend this moment because it sounds like you were bagging on a little bit. No, um, no. Oh, my gosh. I love the Lion King. Okay, okay. I, I thought you were saying, like, oh, it's a little Because, like, the difference between the Lion King and this is that the Lion King does not have a character that controls the weather. <laughs> this has a character that controls the elements. So, like, the fact that, like, he is, he is realizing that his role as the Avatar is to start to heal the world. And this is the beginning of healing the world. Like, I love this. I thought this was awesome. Yes. No. Um, only love when I talk about The Lion King. It is okay. truly one of my favorite movies. Okay. I should have prefaced that. Um, no, I love it to it. It's like we saw the in season one, the way that forest fires and like scorched earth and damage to nature is like one of the things that really hurts Aang like makes him like to his core upsets him mm -hmm. and so the fact that it's like okay I took out Ozai's firebending now to fix the earth is that seems so perfect um I love that scene visually very beautiful too and the music is stunning so we see the comets uh passing over and disappearing briefly as Toph and Sokka, uh, Suki carry a wounded Sokka toward Aang. And uh, we see the airship had landed near Aang. Sokka says, you did it. You, sh you should have seen yourself. It was amazing. You were all like, pew, 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 right? Like explosion sounds. And then Suki walks up to Ozai and Ozai's lying on the ground. And Suki says, so did you, you know, finish the job? And Ozai snarling opens his eyes and says, I'm still alive. I love that she asked that question, though. Like, <laughs> I, I, I just thought that was a great moment. Yeah, it's kind of like in Ember Island players when everyone's like, wait, did Jet really die? <laughs> like, like, we need you to spell this out for us. Like, what happened? Well, but it also reminds us that they watched, but they don't know what happened. Mm. So, like... So, I mean, in a very real way, they're like, oh, my gosh, is this the corpse of the Fire Lord? <laughs> I mean, that's what she I don't think she's asking it in a funny way. I think she's asking it like, oh, my gosh, did did we just watch somebody die? Yeah. yeah like like that's that's kind of interesting. And 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 and, and she knows how torn up Aang was about what he was going to do. So if you knew so, if, if you were hanging out with Aang this whole time. And he's talked about how I can't do this. There has to be another way. And then you watch this from a distance and you show up and you're like, did, did you kill him? Like, <laughs> like, it's like, it's such an, I'm glad somebody asked. I like yep. that. Yeah, for sure. And Aang says, I learned there was another way to defeat him and restore balance. I took his firebending away. And Toph asks where he learned that. And Aang says without uh, missing a beat, a giant turtle. And Toph says something to the effect of, you go on the craziest adventures when you're on your own, right? Like, <laughs> you see so much that we don't see. 
And Sokka hops over to Suki uh, to taunt Ozai. And he says, now that your firebending's gone, I guess we should call you the loser, Lord. And Ozai tries to stand. He says, I am the Phoenix King, but then falls on his face. And Toph says, oh, sorry, didn't mean to offend you, Phoenix King, of getting his butt whooped. And Suki says, yeah, or how about the king of the guys who don't win? And everyone tells her that uh, maybe the nicknames aren't for her. Again, Suki's the greatest. I love moments like this. I love the character who like tries to make a joke, gets partway through and realizes I don't have a punchline. I love yes. it. Yes. Favorite Suki's, character. She's so endearing. So then uh, we see nightfall and then sunrise. It seems as though the next day has happened. Um, we don't really know from here on out how much time is passing through. We get a lot of small scenes in the resolution. Um, so this is one of the first ones. And it's the sunrise at the Fire Nation capital. Zuko is bandaged. He, uh, the bandage is around his chest and he uh, puts a, rope on, a robe on while May offers to help him. And so May is back. And he says, May, you're okay. He was like, did you get out of prison? And she said, my uncle pulled some strings. And it doesn't hurt when the new Fire Lord is your boyfriend. And Zuko says, does that mean you don't hate me anymore? And May blushes and says, I think it means I actually kind of like you. And they embrace and kiss. And she says, but don't ever break up with me again. So this moment had to make... Uh, ship some shippers very happy and some very unhappy. Uh, yeah. There was definitely someone in my family who got to this scene and said, "Oh, I didn't want him to end up with her." And oh, I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't realize I had like a. My wife is a Zuko Katara shipper. I oh. presume that's who he wanted. That's the pairing that that uh, that she wanted. But what I what I was struck by was like how much I didn't like May the first time we met her in Amashu. And how the, how they managed to make her a character, you know, over the course of two seasons where I'm like, I love May. She's great. Me too. Who knew they were gonna redeem that character? And like right? and not just like she's now on the good side, but like I really like her. Yeah. Where she was set up to be like, oh, just like the negative person, like, boo, that person's not fun to watch. Like, she's one of my favorites. I really like her. Me too. The first time I watched this, again, I hated her. I hated me. And now I'm like, I'm happy they're together. I was like low-key a Katara Zuko shipper the first time I watched it. And this time around, I'm like, no, May is perfect. I love May. <laughs> and there's like a scene we get of her hanging out with Suki later. And I'm like, oh, I want to be there. That sounds yeah. amazing. So outside uh, the Fire Nation capital, a group gathers, and it's a group of water, earth, and firebenders. And they're all prepared to see the crowning of the new Fire Lord. And what's cool about this scene is we have seen so many times in this same location, like, these phalanxes of uh, Fire Nation soldiers, very, like, Triumph of the Will style. And now we see these same kind of columns of, of people, but it's, like, all the different types of people together you know, for yeah. this, that so you see the different colors and, um, and yeah. that's just, it's just kind of a cool way to say like, we're going to take this piece of iconography that is like this totalitarian clearly reads totalitarian images. And instead it's going to be this image of pluralism and, and stuff. And it, it's really cool. Yeah. Even the way everyone gathers, it almost seems like, uh, like 
spur of the moment. It almost seems like a party. Like mm-hmm. people are just kind of mingling, like mingling between nations. It's there is no order. There is no like f- like line. It's just people are out having a good time, excited about what is going to happen next. And it's basically like a big reunion. So we get a lot of little, um, like a second of seeing certain characters around. So I'll try to grab some of them. If I miss a couple moments, Sam, you jump in. Okay. We'll do. So Sokka and Katara um, are walking through. Sokka now has um, like a cane he's limping Mm on. And they find the cave crew. (laughs) Yay. Or at least some of them. So they run up to Hakoda and they hug him and he says that he is proud and that their mother would be proud. Um, we see a couple other cave crew members. Yeah. So I, I let, let me, I went through this. I watched this again slowly and, and made note to, to sort of make sure the cave crew was there. So you definitely see Haru and we need to point out Haru still has the mustache. <laughs> yes. Um, you definitely see Teo reunited with his father. You see the Duke reunited with Pipsqueak. Um, in the background, you see the boulder and the hippo. You see, like, all these people. One character is conspicuous by not being there. And we look, Esme and I looked very closely for him. There is neither hide nor hair of Chit saying, which makes me wonder, which makes me wonder. They went out of their way in Boiling Rock to introduce this character, to have him tag along. Only to in the next episode shove him in a cave, and then we never see him again. Like, why did they do it? I, I kind of liked Chitsang. I was on record that Chitsang was going to have some role to play in some way, shape, or form, even in the celebration because he's a firebender. Could he at least be like a a guard or something now for like work for Zuko? Something. Nothing. He's nowhere to be. Which is, I mean, kind of perfect. You're always going to have that one person that's like, all right, bye. Like, <laughs> got through the cave. Uh, do you think, oh, okay, okay. Do you think he got through the cave or do you think that they turned on him and left him behind and he's still wandering in a cave somewhere? <laughs> I think maybe he died in the cave because I think there's maybe a hero's death for Chitsang. What danger would they have encountered in the cave? R- rocks. Falling rocks. I don't know. Like maybe like a stray firebender in there, just wandering the caves looking for the cave crew. I don't know. Okay, I like that you want to make him a hero. I, 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 I think he maybe didn't make it out of the cave, but I think maybe like they somehow uh, there was just enough tension because he's like kind of on the outside of that group, and that group is a group of people on the outside. So maybe they just had enough of him and were like, you know what, you're you're on your own okay, and they left like, him in the cave it has how what level of rejection is it to be like the cave crew doesn't want you you oh, know i hadn't thought of that i hadn't thought of that. like yeah. i feel like they're kind of okay with anyone because they are all kind of anyone's they're yeah, just... they, they are the goonies really you know <laughs> right like, anyone okay, everyone so- so I need to introduce. Um, I need to. We we've spent a lot of time in these podcasts pitching ideas for shows or movies or, you know, uh, game shows. Uh, you know, other things here. I think, and this is something we could do, because nobody else is going to do this. I think we should write a 
radio drama that tells the story of the cave crew and we can record it in podcast form and put out our cave crew story yeah which is like like uh, and it is it is um you know our version of like avatar goonies you know and like maybe they go on some adventure in the caves they find treasure because they do have a ragtag group of people with different skills and like yeah I, i think we should do that now I have volunteered to voice Hakoda in our production of this because that's really the part I should play. Mm. Who who would you play in the Cave Crew um, radio drama? You, you got to play Ooh. somebody. Tail. Yeah, I think that's that's Maybe? my choice because Haru has now aged up where his <laughs> voice is too deep, but Tao yeah. still. I think you could be Tao. Yeah, I think it could be Tao. I mean, I wonder if anyone else would be in for this. Who wants to be Chitsang? Listeners? Uh, <laughs> Chris Moore could play Chitsang, I think. Ooh, yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so on board. <laughs> we just need the Duke, right? Is that it? And uh, and Haru. We need we need someone with a deep voice to play Haru. We need a Haru. We need the Duke. Is that all? I feel like I'm missing of the one crew, of the cave yeah. crew. No. <laughs> okay. No, we, no one gets left behind except for Chitsang. Okay. Okay. Maybe we just don't even write Chitsang into it. <laughs> oh, no, we need Chitsang, but we need to find out why he got left behind. <laughs> was it a hero's moment? Was he uh was it social rejection? Is there a graphic novel called Chitsang Alone that is about him wandering <laughs> through a cave <laughs> for eternity? It, I want it so bad. All of his <laughs> adventures, all the misadventures of Chitsang. Yeah. <sighs> I need it. All right. So anyway, they find the cave crew. Guys, they made it out of the cave somehow. We'll maybe never know. We can only guess how. And Suki and the Kyoshi warriors walk up and they are in full uniform. And Sokka says, there's my favorite warriors. I have to admit, I kind of miss the face paint. And then a warrior emerges from behind the others. And it's Tai Lee. And Sokka freaks out. He says, careful, Suki. Tylee is pretending to be a Kyoshi warrior again. Suki tells him to relax, that Tylee has joined the Kyoshi warriors. And Tylee explained that they all really bonded in prison. And she taught them some of her um, chi blocking, right? So they were learning from each other. And she's like, we're going to be best friends. I loved this resolution because I think Tylee is a character that sometimes gets hated on a little bit. Um mm-hmm. Because she, you know, she has some annoying qualities and she, like, functions in a kind of way that, that uh, yeah. Um, but I love that she found a home with the most awesome people. Like, the Kyoshi Warriors are the best. And it's like, yeah. I, and it, like, it's funny because she makes sense there. And I feel like she mm. has a home there. You know, I feel like the circus wasn't really her home. Definitely her family wasn't really her home. I mean, there's a lot of, like, pathos in her, which we see in the, the beach episode. And to see her find a home with the Kyoshi Warriors just makes me very happy. Yeah, she needs some positive female friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she needs some not toxic stuff. <laughs> and, like, the Kyoshi Warriors, if, if, if they're all even a little bit like Suki, like, that is a good group of people. Yeah. So I, that excites me. I, it makes me want to want to be part, uh, either read or watch a Kyoshi Warrior story. And I would love to see Ty Lee in it because it's like 
you have this one character that's a little bit askew from the rest of them, but mm. also fits in with them. I love it. I, I would totally mm. watch that. Yes, for sure. So inside the palace, Zuko finds Aang, and they're in the room uh, where Zuko's grandparents, Sozin and Avatar Roku, had confrontations in the past that we saw um, in flashbacks. So they're both in that room together. And Zuko says, I can't believe a year ago my purpose in life was hunting you down. And now, and Aang says, and now we're friends. I can't believe a year ago I was frozen in a block of ice. The world's so different now. And Zuko puts his arm on Aang's shoulder and says, it'll be even more different when we build it together. And they hug and Zuko leads the way to the palace steps for the ceremony. Okay. I have to say I nearly teared up at this moment only because as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, like we were saying, I can't believe it was only a year ago. We, that we, you and I started on this journey and it's so crazy to be like, like, I feel like we are having the same conversation <laughs> they're having about how much has changed, how much the world is different, how, yeah. And it's just like, like this actually hit me pretty hard that, that we watched this over this period of time. So when they said it's, you know, it's been a year and I think like, mm. yeah, like a year ago we were still pretty early in season one. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we kind of hit that timing. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Really paid off to do those double episodes season That's one. That's right. <laughs> that was your call. So, well done. oh my god! Remember when you just did the notes alone? The yes. first, like, like, yeah. Of course you remember. It was madness. <laughs> that was like the first. How many? I think maybe f- six episodes. Yeah, I was gonna say like four or six, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you were like, Annie, I like, I can't. <laughs> And then I started doing it. It was like, oh, my God, you were doing all of this. <laughs> anyway, we're just getting, yeah, distracted. We don't, we so, don't want it to end. <laughs> right? <laughs> so then in front of the cheering crowd, Zuko, um, Zuko and Aang stand. And Zuko says, the real hero is the Avatar. And he ushers Aang to stand with him on the steps of the palace in front of the crowd. And Zuko continues and says, today... This war is finally over. I promised my uncle that I would restore the honor of the Fire Nation, and I will. The road ahead of us is challenging. A hundred years of fighting has left the world scarred and divided, but with the Avatar's help, we can get it back on the right path and begin a new era of love and peace. And he kneels down, and a crown is placed on his head, and the man who places the crown says, All hail, Fire Lord Zuko. The crowd erupts, and Zuko walks down uh, the steps and we get a great scene of him walking towards the crowd and kind of doing a, a nod to Aang to be like, come with me, like walk, walk beside me. Okay. What if Chit Sang had been the one to crown him? Oh, <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense, but I would have kind of loved it. <laughs> do we see the face of the man who crowned? I think it's we do. It's not Chit Sang. <laughs> it's a fire sage as it should be. <laughs> if it if it was shit saying, we would have been like, oh my God, what? <laughs> right. I would have flipped out though if it was. <laughs> I wouldn't have even been mad. I would have been like, yes, this is, of course, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, I'm new. <laughs> awesome. So later we see um, the small figure of Zuko walking through the wilderness and to the prison where Iroh had been kept. Um, 
and in the hallways, he approaches his father's prison cell. And Ozai says, uh, and, and Ozai's sitting in the cell. He looks rough, rough, like Iroh did, but even worse, I think. And he says, I bet he I sh- hasn't been working out like Iroh was. <laughs> yeah. Ozai says, I should count myself lucky. The new Fire Lord has graced me with his presence in my lowly prison cell. And Zuko says, you should count yourself lucky that the Avatar spared your life. Banishing me was the best thing you could have done for me. It put me on the right path. Perhaps your time in here could do the same for you. And Ozai says, why are you really here? And Zuko says, because you are going to tell me something. Where is my mother? All right. So we talked about loose ends and like, I was so wondering, uh, what loose ends are we going to get tied up? And I really thought that Ursa was one that they couldn't get away with not tying up. And this is where the Ursa story ends in the show. Mm. But I, I know for a fact, because um, uh, close your ears, uh, Esme, I've been doing some Christmas shopping looking for, <laughs> um, and you know, looking at Avatar things. And uh, there is a graphic novel called, I think it's called The Search. That is about mm-hmm. Zuko searching for his mother. So, like, I love that they were just like, no, like, it's okay. We're not going to tie everything together, but also we're not closing the book on this world. But this launches out. So now there is like this extended universe of uh, books and things like this that uh, I'm going to be really interested to learn more about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like the end of a superhero series or movie where it's like, there's always something more like there's always another thing that that hero is going to hunt for. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like something else that they have to gain. And like, this is the biggest, especially for his identity, but just like the, the, his biggest task now after, after um, his destiny with the avatar, it Mm -hmm. has been completed. So it's, it felt right. Like I, I'm, I was really happy with how it ended. Well, it makes me feel good because it also made me feel like, okay, so they're just not going to try to do anything everything here mm. um because i my fear was that they were going to try to do everything it's like you don't have the time and they were like yeah we don't have the time <laughs> but we're not done life is life is going to continue in this world so yep. yeah i, I yep. liked it it's like we're telling this story we're not telling that story and uh sometime we'll tell it in a different way yeah i, I also like that there's other mediums too it's fun mm-hmm. that they have the graphic novels and yep so then we go even later Behind the walls of Ba Sing Se, we see the like the metropolis of Ba Sing Se, and we see the the we see kids earth bending over the stacked tanks that Boomy had um, destroyed, and we see kids playing in the streets. And Appa sits outside the Jasmine Dragon, mm-hmm. and inside this is the scene you wanted sam you were like i, I need it. a scene i need a scene of jasmine dragon so appa sits outside of the jasmine dragon and inside ira plays the sungi horn i love that they brought music night back like it's just <laughs> it was my favorite thing my favorite like little weird thing about the ship and the fact that in the conclusion they're like you know sungi horn we're putting it back in i loved it i loved yes. it 
Iro loves it too. Of course, he has like a, probably a full band's worth of instruments at right. the Jasmine Dragon. I'm sure they does. have music music night, night. all the I, time. I promise they do. Um, and Zuko is serving tea to Toph, who is lounging. You see, Aang plays with Momo on the carpet, and May and Suki and Katara are all around a table. They're maybe playing a game, maybe Pai Show. It's hard to that tell. Would, I would like that. If I, I like to believe that's what it is. Mm. And Sokka yells from a desk for them all to stop moving. He says, I'm trying to capture the moment. He's painting on a scroll, and Katara comes over, looks over his shoulder, and starts critiquing his work. His work has improved. His mm-hmm. art is getting better. And she says, wait. But it had a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it started very low. And Katara says, wait, why did you give me Momo's ears? And Sokka says, no, no, no those are your hair loopies. And Zuko says, at least you don't have, or at least you don't look like a porcupine. My hair's not that spiky. And we hear May say, I look like a man. And then Suki says, and why did you paint me firebending? And Sokka explains, he's like, I thought it looked more exciting that way. I'm like, how more exciting can Suki be? Anyway, it's fine. Momo then jumps on the table and chitters at Sokka. And Sokka says, oh, you think you can do a better job, Momo? Aang looks at the crew and he smiles and walks out to pet Appa outside. This I love this scene. It reminds me of the end of Lord of the Rings when That's like, exactly what I thought. Yes, when all of the friends are, are just kind of playing around and, and Frodo then walks off on his own. Mm-hmm. Um and we overhear Iroh comment, Hey, my belly's not that big anymore. I really trimmed down. And Toph says, Well, I think you all look perfect. And they all laugh. Outside, Aang uh, looks over the city from the balcony of the Jasmine Dragon, and Katara meets him, and they look at the balcony, they look at each other, and then they hug. And as the sun begins to set, all of Ba Sing Se is covered in pinks and purples, and Katara leans in and kisses Aang. The end. And a bunch of people got what they wanted. <laughs> yes. Yes. The end. Yeah. Wow. What a what an adventure it was. What a great story it is. Mm. I'm I'm excited to watch it again to start at the beginning. I think I wonder how hard season 1 is going to be to watch because so many of our friends aren't there yet. Mm. You know, like like the the thought of like you have to watch like 25 episodes before you get to Toph is really interesting. Right? You know, because I think she's just like such a core member of the team. Um, but this is definitely something that that we'll be doing over the holidays. Is uh, probably starting around Thanksgiving. Is just like let's rewatch Avatar. Let's let's dive into this. I think before I start watching something like Legend of Korra, I want to I want to go back and watch Avatar clean without having to take notes, without having to you know think about it in that way, and just sort of take it in. Because I bet there's a lot of stuff that I will notice on a on a rewatch that now that i know where all of this goes that i'll be like oh they planted those seeds so much earlier than i thought Mm, yeah there were there were a couple moments where i i knew something but i couldn't say it because i knew how it ended so i'm excited for you to go back and see it that way and watch it like a true fan you know watch it like the people that we have interviewed who are like yeah it's my like comfort watch like i you know go back to this when i want to feel this way or that way so are there any 
things that you were surprised didn't appear in the finale? Besides shit mm. saying. <laughs> yes. Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm trying to like remember the lists that we came up with, and I feel like they hit most of them. Was there something missing on yours? I was surprised. And, and, this, is, uh, and this is not even a problem. Because uh, it's not a loose end. It's just a, like a... It's more like a metaphor that ran through part of season two. Mm. I was surprised that we didn't see Baby Hope. Yeah. Yep. Because yep. we end in Bossing Say. So when we when we get to the Jasmine Dragon and I'm like, all right, okay, we're, we're at the... We're back in Bossing Say. This is clearly makes sense that this is where this show will end. I was like, I just was surprised that we didn't see her. Because yeah. she really is, I think, a powerful metaphor of season two that runs yeah. throughout a big chunk of it that we didn't get to see one last glimpse of her and her parents or, you know, they could have just been at the Jasmine Dragon or something, yeah. you know? Or, or like sitting. in the shots of the kids, like, playing in the rubble. Yeah. Like, you could have them behind. Yeah, yeah. So that surprised me a little bit. Mm. Um, we were both very we both really thought that that would happen. Yeah. And it just, it's, that seems like, it seemed like an easy thing that like no one would complain about. And you don't have to make it a big heavy handed thing. Just even in a shot of bossing, say the way that they did when the tanks rolled into bossing, say, and you get this little shot of like, Oh, that's open her parents. Like I just thought we would see, and you know, I'm open to maybe they, maybe, maybe I missed them and they are there. Cause it seems like the kind of thing they would have done. Um, I also like a lo- and, and I'll call this a loose end because maybe this appears in, for all I know, this appears in Korra or it appears in some of the other written materials. I'm really intrigued by the guru and who he is uh, and how he fits in. I was expecting him to be connected to White Lotus and he wasn't, which is totally fine. But it's like, who was this strange cat who like, appears in one episode you know like i kind of want to know more about him and more about his ways and are there other people like him or who are acolytes of him like i'm just curious about Mm. you know about him so like i was surprised that i didn't see him in that you know in the big shots at in in uh the fire nation capital that we didn't see any of that we also don't really get anything explicit about the season three allies that they build in the fire nation Mm. you know like again even just like a quick offhanded visual reference to some of the kids from the um uh from the the headband episode or the people Mm -hmm. from the painted lady just something like something there i was just a little surprised by that yeah yeah for sure because i feel like they did a lot with season two allies coming back but but they mm. didn't do as much with the season three allies or didn't do anything mm. with the season three allies. Again, I don't think any of these things are problems. It's just like, oh, I was kind of interested that, you know, I'm thinking about predictions that I made that didn't pan out. And like those are, I feel like I got a lot of the stuff that I expected, but um, I would yeah. say those, those are the big things there. Yeah. Hope, hope was disappointing. <laughs> hope was disappointing is a great wow. sentence. Wow. Yikes. Um, I, I am okay thinking about it in the way of, like, who were they? They were refugees. Mm-hmm. The refugees went to Bossing Say to start a new life. 
right? And so maybe maybe hope is going back home, like going back to home where where it is liberated, where you are not in fear, where you are with family and friends. You know what I mean? So like oh, sure. visually, it would have been a quick thing to have her in there. I really, I wish they did. Maybe she's there somewhere and we just need to like dig a little more in the episode to find it. Um, but if she's not there at the same time, maybe that's like, like we can write it. We can write a story on our right. own for it. Right. Right. No, totally. And, and again, I don't know how Cora works. I don't know. Like, I, like any of these things that I'm like, huh, it's funny that like maybe they planted seeds for things later. I'm open to anything, you know, and, and, and again, like I just really, as we sort of are rounding towards the end of this episode, like I really just approached this with love. I really loved this project. I really loved mm. this show. It was so much better than it had to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was so much better. It's way better than I thought it was going to be. And it's, it's really, it's really kind of great. Um, mm-hmm. And I've appreciated sort of being able to go on this journey with you, with Esme, with our listeners. Um, I, I appreciate everybody who's emailed in. Um, I will say we, I, we do a lot of podcasts. I was just doing, um, I was just counting up my podcasting career, which started in 2006. And um, I've, been part of recorded well over a thousand podcasts um in in that time um and one of the things that we rarely get you know and in our podcasting world is pretty small you know like we don't have a million listeners or things like this but like this show has gotten a bigger response from listeners and what i mean by that is people writing in and saying oh i really i really enjoyed this i really enjoyed this show i really enjoy avatar i'd love to be on the show like we don't get that in 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 other places very much with with, so like this is really like i think touched something uh really special and this has meant a lot to me uh this Mm -hmm. has been a it's definitely been a labor of love for the two of us i think (laughs) like it's just like even if nobody's listening we are going to do this but i i'm i'm touched by the fact that people found um Mm. found joy in this journey along with us so yeah uh, that has meant a lot to me yeah and i hope like we all i mean i know that i'm gonna approach the things that i love in different ways too now and think about why i love them and dig in deeper and instead of just consuming like look at look for the art and the Mm -hmm. like complexity of the things that i love uh whether it's like an office episode or, or whatever, you know, like it, it could be anything. Yeah. And I encourage you to slow down with things. I mean, one of the mm. things that, that this project made me do is not just click play next episode, but it was like, okay, that episode happened. Now I'm going to think about it. I'm going to watch it again. I'm not saying everybody needs to take assiduous notes. I mean, we have, <laughs> we have about, we have well over 300 pages of, of written notes that we have made between the two of us for these mm. three seasons. Um, you don't need to do that, but like before you jump to that next episode, if it's a thing worth really enjoying and digging into, take your time. Mm. Even if you don't watch it again, take your time to think about an episode before you fire up the next one. Um, these things are created with care. So like maybe we should sometimes approach them with care. And that's, that's, I've really enjoyed that. Yeah. And like, what does it, what is it how does it impact you like what does it tell 
you about yourself. Like, I feel like watching these and like really taking my time, it's like, oh, I liked this episode because of this theme in it. And oh, that's why I liked this other one, because it still has this one theme or this one like shared experience or something. Um, So I know like I want to approach art in that way more going on. Yeah, I, I, and, 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 you know, it's weird because of those thousand plus podcasts, I don't know that I've ever really done a podcast where we were saying like, this is the end. Like, cause they're, they're not, they're not projects that tend to end this one. Like this was a, this was a, we were going to watch our way through this show and now we have watched our way through it. So I'm even thinking like, I don't know how to end this episode because well, there isn't an explicit next week. I think we end it with saying this, you know, it's not goodbye. It's a see you later because there is a uh, legend of Korra. Now not mm-hmm. saying that we are going to do the same intense note taking that we did this time. In fact, I am saying we are not going we to. Will, we will not be doing <laughs> that. That is a, that. that is a promise to you <laughs> listeners. But uh, I mean, like I could see us, we've talked about like doing a, an episode on like a season of, Korra or doing an episode here and there on something that we found in the Avatar world that we really enjoy, especially since that world is growing um, in the next couple years with more and more content being available. Absolutely. I would love to, I would love to meet up again, uh, Annie, virtually uh, when I finish season one of Korra and uh, whenever that time comes, sit down and record what is hopefully a thoughtful episode about, I think there are four seasons to that show you know, about mm-hmm. each season and say, well, let's kind of dig into this. And, um, you know, maybe uh, um, I have talked with somebody who's guested on this show before and asked, would you be willing to just be a regular host of something like that? And, you know, we're in contract negotiations, but this could be a three-hander in that way, which Ooh. I think would be would be very fun. So, yes, um, the more the merrier. Yeah, yeah, get a get a third generation in here. Um, so, so yeah, like, so I think, like, like you said, this is goodbye for now. And and if we never record another thing about this, this was such a worthwhile journey to do with all of you, and especially to do with you, Annie. I feel like um, b- between this and Tweet Victory, we have kind of recorded the development of our friendship over the last couple of years, um, where somebody could somebody could like reconstruct elements of our large elements of our personalities just from these podcasts. Um, um, so I, I guess, I guess maybe I should end by saying this, I should end by thanking you um, because w- were it not for you, not only would I not have done this podcast, but I promise you, I would have never watched avatar the last airbender. I went back and listened to that tweet victory episode and I am pretty dismissive about what the show looks like to me. And it's interesting to hear you describe the show to me. And it just kind of sounds bananas. Like, what? <laughs> There's like a like like hybrid ant. Like, what are you talking about? And uh, I shouldn't have loved this show, but I really did. So I want to end by saying thank you to you uh, for um, for recommending this and for joining me on this very very long journey oh yeah i mean thank you for for trusting me i hope in the future you will trust that i have excellent taste in in everything yeah i do yeah so and, thank you. and i will i will say to our fans um 
if you're if you're interested in this dynamic, we do do another show called Tweet Victory every week, which is a lot stranger than this. Um, it's a lot shorter. And yes, lot I was gonna say a lot stranger, but less uh, time you need to spend with us. <laughs> yes, uh, and and if but if but there's a big back catalog. If you miss us, we've done about 127 episodes of that. I think so. They're all around, you know, 10 to 15 minutes or so. So like you could go back and. Uh, and and learn about us from that. Yes, and pro tip for you, if you find the episodes that are like the 100th episode or 50th episode, whatever, I don't know what we're at, actually. Are we even at 100? Yeah, we're at 127, I think. Yeah. Okay, yes, okay. So if you go back to like the, the important like 50, 75, 100, we tell you which episodes are our favorites. So just go find those ones and start with those ones and then just listen through. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we will do something more not just mm. something more from avatar but i can't imagine like there's going to be a, a hole in my in my life and in my time now <laughs> that i have been you know doing this with you for a couple hours every week for a long time like we're going to be searching for another project i think so yes this is not the end yeah and it might be chit saying cave crew yeah i'm gonna start working on that radio drama so please do yeah, work work on your Teo voice. <laughs> this is what Hakoda will sound like because I'm not an actor, so he's just sure, going to yeah. sound like me. Great, sounds perfect. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> how do we end, Annie? How do we? Can you end? Because I don't know how to end. Okay. Um, well, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We will not be back next week with not another episode of Avatar with Academics, and we will miss you. We'll miss you a lot.